Hello, I'm Amanda Jezik, IDSA's Senior Vice President for Public Policy and Government Relations. Welcome to IDSA's COVID-19 podcast series that aims to keep IDSA members, medical professionals, and the public informed during this pandemic by talking with experts in the field of infectious diseases. In this episode, we are pleased to welcome IDSA COVID-19 Guidelines co-author Dr. Amy Shoemaker, an ID pharmacist from the VA Northeast Ohio Healthcare System, and HIVMA past chair and current co-chair of the HIVMA IDSA HIV primary care guidance, Dr. Melanie Thompson, an HIV physician and researcher in private practice in Atlanta. We will be discussing the latest information on Paxlovid. Thank you both for joining us today. Dr. Shoemaker, I'd like to start by asking you to tell us a bit about Paxlovid, what it is and why it's been so effective in treating COVID-19. Paxlovid is a combination of an antiviral medication that's under emergency use authorization for the treatment of mild to moderate COVID-19 in patients who are considered at high risk for progression to severe disease. Paxlovid consists of two antiviral agents. One, nermotrelvir, inhibits the main protease of the SARS-CoV-2 virus and another protease inhibitor that many of us are familiar with, ritonavir, which has been used in HIV care for many years, which acts as a pharmacokinetic booster. This booster slows the metabolism of nermotrelvir, improving concentrations and prolonging the half-life, making it more effective for COVID-19 treatment. Unfortunately, ritonavir, being an inhibitor of the cytochrome P450 isoenzyme system, there's many drug interactions that result from using ritonavir in this combination. And Dr. Shoemaker, who are the appropriate candidates for Paxlovid? Basically anybody that has a positive test, whether it be a laboratory test or a home test for SARS-CoV-2, age over 18 or greater than 12 and weighing at least 40 kilograms. And then they must have at least one risk factor for progression to severe disease for COVID-19. These risk factors have sort of shifted over time, but include things like diabetes, cardiovascular disease, chronic lung disease, and then they can't be too far into the disease course. So one of the criteria under emergency use authorization is being less than five days within the onset of their symptoms and not having symptoms consistent with severe disease. So patients with mild to moderate disease who are less than five days of symptoms could be considered for Paxlovid candidacy. In addition to that, they can't be in the hospital for severe or critical COVID-19, and they must have an estimated glomerular filtration rate or EGFR of greater than 30, absence of severe liver disease, child P class C, and can't be allergic to either nermotrelvir or ritonavir. Dr. Shoemaker, you were the author of guidance recently published by IDSA on the management of drug interactions with Paxlovid. What is included in the guidance and why was the guidance needed? In this guidance document, we sought to provide practical guidance on the management of drug interactions occurring with the top 100 most prescribed medications in the United States. In our document, we include a stepwise approach to be used by frontline providers to identify and when possible, mitigate common drug interactions for Paxlovid candidate. So what's not in our guidance is medications that are less commonly prescribed, but may have a more severe interaction or be contraindicated. And this document was created because many providers like Dr. Thompson and myself have not worked in HIV and dealt with the management of ritonavir and therefore might lack comfort in managing drug to drug interactions that come along with ritonavir. 
IDSA has recognized the need to create these practical guidance documents to support busy frontline clinicians and make sure that Paxlovid is reaching those patients who would benefit most, but to do it in a way that minimizes the risk of adverse events resulting from these drug interactions. Dr. Thompson, let's turn to you. As a longtime HIV provider, you've had a great deal of experience with ritonavir, one of the drugs that makes up Paxlovid. Can you talk about some of the drugs or classes of drugs that are not included in the guidance but may still be contraindications for Paxlovid? My first principle for managing drug interactions is don't guess. Look it up. Some of these are tricky. You can't predict them. And I just can't remember all of these. And I've been doing it since 1994. The EUA for Paxlovid lists 24 contraindicated drugs and one herb across 13 classes. And most of these are not in the IDSA guidance because they are less commonly prescribed, yet we all have patients on some of them. So let's talk about the cytochrome inducers first, because these are often overlooked. They're very important because they lower concentrations of Paxlovid and could not only undercut its efficacy, but they also potentially could lead to viral resistance. Their inducing effects require weeks, not days, to subside after you stop them. So Paxlovid should not be started within two to three weeks of taking these drugs or herbs. Uh, so first, the anticonvulsants are a red flag category. The FDA calls out carbamazepine, uh, which is also used for nerve pain, phenobarbital, uh, phenytoin. As for the other anticonvulsants, look them up. They may not be contraindicated, but they may have interactions. Also, the rifamycins used for TB and St. John's wort, which is an herb commonly used for depression, are both potent inducers. Apalutamide is an androgen receptor inhibitor for prostate cancer, and that is contraindicated. Its cousin, bicalutamide, is not mentioned by the FDA, but it is in the same class And it also is an androgen receptor blocker that is sometimes used by transgender women. So now the CYP inhibitors. The antiarrhythmics here are a red flag category. The FDA lists five, including amiodarone, flecainide, quinidine. But these drugs all have a narrow therapeutic window. And boosting the levels of these drugs could have rapid and severe consequences. And mostly, people are on these drugs for long-term and they can't be stopped. So basically, do not mix these with Paxlovid. Uh, The ergot drugs are another class uh, that are contraindicated. They're used for headaches, but also sometimes for excessive uterine bleeding. They are potent vasoconstrictors. And high levels can cause ergotism or vascular spasm and thrombosis. So just say no to Paxlovid and ergots. Now, the statins, simvastatin and lovastatin, are entirely contraindicated, and they must be stopped, ideally 12 hours before Paxlovid, and held for five days after completing dosing. Now, the other statins can be dose-reduced, or they may be held, uh, but they can be restarted one to two days after Paxlovid. So I want to mention the PDE5 inhibitor, sildenafil. Uh, At high doses used for pulmonary hypertension, sildenafil is contraindicated with Paxlovid. But we shouldn't forget 
that lower dose sildenafil called Viagra is used for male erectile dysfunction. And this is also boosted by ritonavir and its dose should be decreased to avoid side effects. Now the anticoagulant class uh, is a tricky class. Levels can go up or down. So really look these up. They're mostly mentioned in the guidance, except for dabigatran or pradaxa, which should not be used at full dose and should be dose reduced. I want to call out a couple of one-off contraindicated drugs that are not in the guidance. Uh, Alfuvacin is an alpha blocker for prostate enlargement, uh, colchicine for gout, uh, glucaprovir, pabrentosphere, or mavoret for hepatitis C. Now, technically, that's not in the contraindicated list, but uh, in the same EUA, it is not recommended to be used with Paxlovid. And really, as for the other hepatitis C medications, I say look them up. Now, there are other classes that need to be closely managed, uh, antipsychotics, antidepressants. In general, I say look them up. Uh, There are some that are contraindicated, like Latuda, Pemazide, Clozapine, and Seroquel is an interesting one uh, with an odd recommendation for dose reduction. It's recommended to give only one-sixth of the dose of Seroquel, and this is mentioned in the guidance. Some of the antidepressants need managements, but I would just say the levels can go up or down, uh, and this is the same for sedative hypnotics. In terms of analgesics, opioid and fentanyl levels are increased, and this is very important not only for use for pain, but also people who are using them without prescription. And then finally, I want to point out that immune suppressants and cancer drugs really have to be looked at very carefully. Uh, While most are not absolutely contraindicated, there are a host of drugs whose doses must be very carefully managed to avoid severe toxicities. So look them up and consult with specialists as needed. I'll stop there before people's heads explode. Hello, my name is Dr. Mati Flachwayo Davis. I'm the associate editor for the COVID Health Equity Resources section of the COVID-19 Real-Time Learning Network. The COVID Health Equity Resources section offers a collection of educational and training materials research articles, and resources that are curated to help medical professionals and institutions provide equitable COVID-19 care. Check us out at idsociety.org forward slash COVID-19 real-time learning network forward slash COVID health equity resources. Thank you, Dr. Thompson. So to give a little bit more clarity here, if a patient is taking one of these medications, does it preclude the use of Paxlovid altogether? Or are there other types of management strategies that we could recommend? So there are a number of contraindicated medications you just can't manage your way around. And I think you've gotten a flavor of this from the laundry list that I just went through. Uh, The inducers fall into this category. Uh, But there are also contraindicated drugs that you simply can't hold temporarily. But most of the time, there are management strategies. And we can often manage the inhibitory drug interactions by changing the dose of the interacting drug uh, during the five days of Paxlovid and usually two to three days afterwards. So an example of this would be many of the sedative hypnotics and anxiolytics. Uh, Only triazolam and midazolam are contraindicated, and these are not commonly used. But benzodiazepines are very commonly used, and they may require dose reduction if in chronic use. 
Now, I call this out because it's especially important for the elderly in whom boosting levels can cause increased sedation or even falls. Another strategy is therapeutic drug monitoring, which can be used to guide dosing for some immune suppressant drugs like sirolimus and tacrolimus, but this requires rapid turnaround of uh, concentration and rapid management. Now, sometimes we can just hold the interacting drug, and occasionally we can substitute another drug that does not have interactions, such as with oral steroids, where we might substitute beclomethasone or prednisolone for dexamethasone or prednisone, although dose reductions can also work. And then another management strategy, which is a little different, is in the case of ethanol estradiol used for birth control. And in this case, patients can remain on the drug, but the concentrations decrease so that patients should be told to use another form of birth control for the rest of the cycle after starting Paxlovid. Uh, and, you know, I will just say that sometimes you have to say Paxlovid just isn't the best choice. And if this is the case, then you might turn to a monoclonal antibody that is active against the current predominant variant, or molnupiravir, another direct antiviral, may also be an option. So in general, there are a lot of management strategies. To me, I think we also just have to consider the risk and benefit for the individual and what that individual is comfortable doing. Dr. Thompson, you've repeatedly called for providers to look up information about contraindications, which is fantastic advice. So what resources would you recommend for providers who are looking for contraindications, particularly for less frequently prescribed drugs? Well, I have several favorites. I think my besties are the University of Liverpool Drug Interaction Checkers. They have an interaction checker for COVID-19 drugs and also for HIV drugs. And if I can't find the patient's drug in the COVID-19 checker, I'll look up ritonavir in the HIV version and then enter the interacting drug. Uh, And sometimes there are different drugs in these two interaction checkers. So I recommend downloading both of these apps so that they're easily available on your phone. They're really, to me, the most important resource. Next, there is a great handout from Ontario, Canada's University of Waterloo. Uh, And this is a beautiful, full-color table of Paxlovid interactions. And I think this is really helpful just to have on the desk for nurses or people who may be helping with the management of drug interactions. And then finally, two important documents from the FDA. The EUA, Healthcare Provider Fact Sheet, is absolutely essential, and it has six pages of drug interactions that are significant. Uh, And then there is the patient eligibility checklist from the FDA, and this also is a drug interactions handout. So I think those are all terrific resources. And, And then if you still have questions, you can always download the package insert from the FDA. And I did that just yesterday. So those are the the resources that we have that I think are terrific. And I want to make an advocacy point here that what we really need in addition is a 24-7 Paxlovid hotline. So I am just waiting for somebody to step up and say they're going to create that for us. Thank you, Dr. Thompson. Dr. Shoemaker, can you talk about the test to treat program? How is it intended to work in terms of getting quick access to Paxlovid? 
In March of 2022, the Biden-Harris administration launched a program called Test to Treat, and essentially it was to expand accessibility to COVID treatments. The program supports the idea that patients can have this one-stop shopping approach to COVID-19 testing and treatment, meaning that they can visit a participating site or often a pharmacy, complete a test for COVID-19, and also get a script for one of these agents. So you could test positive at 11 a.m. and by noon you're home taking your first dose of Paxlovid. In addition, a patient's current health provider can prescribe the antiviral agents to be filled at a local pharmacy that participates in the program and dispenses the antiviral medications. Thank you, Dr. Shoemaker. Finally, I have a question for both of you. What is the most important thing you want healthcare providers to know about Paxlovid? Over the last 25 years, we've learned a great deal about how to manage drug interactions with ritonavir. So I think it's important to emphasize that many common interactions with Paxlovid can be easily managed. However, we do have a lack of data on how effective Paxlovid is in vaccinated patients. And oftentimes when we have patients with many drug interactions that may be difficult for the patient to implement or pose a risk to the patient, I think we have to rely on some shared decision-making between the provider and the patient to determine if Paxlovid is the right treatment choice for the patients. And if not, as Dr. Thompson said, a monoclonal antibody that's effective against the circulating variant might be a better choice. And then I always like to make a push for pharmacy involvement as an infectious disease and HIV pharmacist for many years. I think it's really important to engage a pharmacist and help you sort out those drug interactions. And I wholeheartedly agree with Dr. Thompson. If you don't know something, look it up. These are not drug interactions that we want to commit to memory and rely on our memory for. Dr. Thompson? Pharmacists are so underutilized and so helpful in dealing with complex drug interactions. uh, And they also sometimes can have access to databases that will help you understand what medications the patient's on. This is really important. We don't often do complete medication reconciliations at every visit. I mean, just be honest. It's tough. It takes some time. But here's a point where you have to do a complete medication reconciliation, including talking with the patient about their over-the-counter meds and herbal products, because you just can't anticipate and manage the drug interactions without knowing what the patient is actually taking. And then the second point I would make is that prescribing Paxlovid may seem daunting at first, but it's worth a little effort and it gets easier. It is precisely the patients who are on these most challenging medications who are likely to be most vulnerable and most likely to benefit from Paxlovid. And as Amy said, HIV providers and HIV pharmacists do this every day and with a little extra homework, we can all do this. At this time, I'd like to thank Drs. Shoemaker and Thompson for their time, participation, and expertise. For the latest information and resources on the COVID-19 pandemic, visit IDSA's website, idsociety.org, and don't forget to follow us on social media. Tune in next time as another diverse panel of medical experts discusses the latest on COVID-19. I'm Amanda Jezik.
The views and opinions expressed here are those of the presenters and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Involvement of CDC should not be viewed as endorsement of any entity or individual involved with the podcast.